0: You're listening to Coach Talk, a podcast about coaching for improvement in health and social care. Here you will meet several international experts and coaches to discuss challenges, opportunities, models and tools that might be useful when you coach others to make improvements. My name is Annette Nilsson and I work as a development strategist in the region Shopping. And just now we have the Clinical Microsystem Festival, a lot of fun and a lot of learning and inspiration. And I am sitting here with a close friend and a person I have had the opportunity to work with for many years. It's Marjorie Godfrey. And will you please introduce yourself, Marjorie?
1: Thank you, Annette. Um, My name is Marjorie Godfrey. I am the co-director of the Dartmouth Institute Microsystem Academy at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Uh, I was the co-founder of the academy, um, trying to find a space and place for all of the work that we've been doing on applied clinical microsystem theory and the key concepts um, that I'm particularly passionate about to help uh, those at the front line of care and leaders at all levels of the organization create conditions for successful improvement to result in improved results for populations and families and also staff who work in those microsystems.
0: Yes, and you have a long journey both with practice experiences, but also you have done your research and I got the opportunity to be involved in that. It was really, really a lot of learning. And uh, would you say something around coaching from that perspective? I know there's so much to say, but if you should give a little sense, what's in your mind if you should say, what is this about?
1: Um that's an interesting question, Annette. I think, as a nurse um, who spent several decades providing care and seeing opportunities for system improvement and doing the best that I could, I realized uh, getting additional education was really important. And in that process uh, of learning about systems and um, learning about change, um, what came um, t- what presented itself to me was basically the fact that, um, all of this change and improvement is about people. And, uh, it's really hard when you're a frontline professional trying to provide care and improve care. And along the way, if you have someone to help you, it can make, uh, the, the change activities, uh, easier to accomplish. And the help as I've learned over time has turned into, uh, this idea of a team coach, um, based in evidence, based in research and i find increasingly um, that this role or this behavior if you're a leader who has team coaching skills can really make a difference for those who are working hard to improve outcomes for populations and also for staff um, in their daily work
0: i think it was really interesting when i got the opportunity to be involved in the research uh, as a coach, I was more like uh, I'm. I'm just doing it. I, I have it inside, and uh, it's like a black box with everything's going on. But what you sorted out and in the research was you talked about the the professional wisdom and you thought about methods and tools and uh, evidence based and so on. Can you mention little about this and the professional wisdom and what what's really because you mentioned the word help?
1: Yes. So I think. Uh, you bring up a very good point, Annette, that there's many people around the world in all sorts of industries, in um, an increasing number, in, particularly in trying to improve healthcare, um, that um, have got a lot of field experience. They've got life experiences trying to help people make improvements and to praise people and encourage them and help them to do the right things to be able to make improvement. And we shouldn't be blind to those experiences because the practical wisdom um, or the professional wisdom that one has as being a coach is extraordinarily informative to the uh, academic side where you hear about theories, the theory of team coaching, or you hear about systems thinking or um, all of the other theories that together, um, it really helps strengthen someone who's trying to help people be able to provide care and improve care. Um, So the professional wisdom to me um, um, uh, came from uh, some work of Anthony Grant in Australia, and I really appreciated his modeling of that so that those who have all the years of experience like yourself, we can learn from you and you can learn from people who are from academic uh, settings. And what I find in the real world is that uh, trying to translate theory of uh, helping people using Edgar Schein's, thinking of helping in humble inquiry, along with thinking about Donald Schoen's work on being a reflective practitioner, um, and working in the field, there may become opportunities popping up that you wanna know deeper knowledge, that you have a hypothesis, or if you think, uh, if we don't have the leader engaged, we won't have good success. Well, turning to our academic colleagues is a very natural way to say, I'm gonna continue to do my coaching in the field. Could you maybe do a little research on this so I don't waste my time? So I don't waste my time in trying to get leaders to be involved if your research shows it doesn't matter or that I continue to find constructive ways to engage leaders if your research helps me. So we can work together and that's exactly what we did. Um, It's here in Sweden, you call it interactive research where we have mutual respect of each other's expertise and work together to come up with the best solutions.
0: I also think it was a great idea uh, when you were doing the research and, you were, and I, I had the opportunity to be involved, that you said, write down uh, your experiences. And as a coach also to write down and reflect on that and get someone who can sort it out and, and see patterns in that. Uh, and you also, after that, we decided we start a breakfast club at Kulturum to, mm-hmm. to have this dialogue in mm-hmm. a what we mentioned, a safe room, where we mm-hmm. can talk, people who try with all Alhambra to support others. And can you mention something about this, to have safe rooms, breakfast clubs or whatever, to, to just uh, be aware, what, what am I doing and how is it influencing? And when I come to situations where I feel... Maybe a little worried, am I doing the right thing to, to have someone to share this with? What, what is your thoughts around that?
1: So now you bring up several important concepts to developing and sustaining yourself as a coach. Um, John Dewey uh, has been very clear, and I think we live it all the time. There is no learning without reflection. We can have lots of experiences and walk through life. But until we actually reflect on those experiences and understand what did we learn? Um, what was the significance of this? How will I take this knowledge forward with me? We won't be as successful as we could be. So there's several ways to do that. One is through journaling, where you said to write, that uh, even if it's five minutes a day to think about what happened today, what went well, what do I want to, how did I feel during this uh, experience? um, Maybe there's things I'm still curious about that I need to read or ask about. And if you do that regularly, you'll have a collection of lived experiences and coaching that then when you go to the safe room, so if you meet your colleagues, and we've always said uh, experientially and in the literature that coaches should meet regularly to get support, to learn, uh, to uh, problem solve together, uh, and to strengthen the conviction of being a coach of improvement. Coaching is not easy, it's very hard work. And you know, in my own research, as you know, um, those at the front line who are engaged in providing care and improving care said they only need 20% technical help. So a lot of advisors and coaches will spend a lot of time on Lean Six Sigma, electronic health records, data, And what the frontline staff really said, what I really need a lot of time on is helping me live through and manage change. 80% of what you should be doing is encouraging me. It should be reframing and helping me understand why are we doing this and connecting what we're doing for improvement to patients and families and to the staff. That um, it should be giving me praise. Um, It should be assessing and celebrating the fact that I now hold weekly improvement meetings using effective meeting skills. And actually the whole people part is that we understand each other better because of these effective meeting skills, because we're learning how to communicate differently. Um, The speed of healthcare and and the the pressure of healthcare uh, forces us into behaviors that don't promote relationships and communication. So in this safe room, Having coaches come together, problem solve, support each other actually leads to more sustainability of coaches rather than having coaches determine, uh, you know, decide, I don't want to do this anymore, this is hard work. And, um, you know, it's been said again and again, and I found this word, peopling is hard.
0: Mm-hmm. And you remind me, Mojo, when you invited me for a very exciting job, we went to Alaska. Mm -hmm. And uh, we met a group there, and and, uh, they were coaches, and they worked with the system approach. And you had meetings with all levels at the system, macro, meso, and micro level. And then we had a follow-up at phone, and it was like there were no energy in the group. And you were asking different questions, and then you come up with, do you meet regularly? Do you remember what they said? They said, actually, we have not had time to meet. Mm -hmm. And we had a really, really interesting dialogue around this, that if we should go for really hard work Mm -hmm. and we don't have any meeting places where we can reflect and where we can stand by each other, it will be very hard. So you suggested them to, my advice is Figure out when can you see each other because no one is an island mm-hmm. uh, and and they come up with that and started with that. So I, I think it's really, really, I think it's really important what you're know, talking about that we all need this. No one is uh, alone in this to make it happen.
1: No. And I think whether it's um, coaches meeting or if it's a team, an improvement team meeting, um, there are... Uh, conditions that we can create so um, critical to all of this is leadership so in Alaska for that example if the leaders were not saying uh, we are we want you to take an hour uh, once a week uh, and uh, we will support your clinical operations or it will be okay for you to open your clinic an hour late Those are clear leader behaviors and decisions that improvement matters. You matter. I want to give you the reasonable time and space to learn new skills, practice new skills, and have new habits. And that's the same thing with coaches. You know, if we don't have a chance to reflect, if we don't have a chance to meet together, whether it's locally, nationally, or even internationally, we have the... Um, monthly coaching connection call that Dartmouth has that we have countries all over the world with coaches that come together, we get energy from each other. And we can practice and learn. And if we don't have time to practice these uh, behaviors uh, and new skills, we will not have new habits. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do is let go of um, unproductive habits and behaviors that uh, make us sad or, or 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 make the world seem worse than it is and learn these new skills and actually have people realize coaches care about you. You know, many people will say no one's invested this kind of time in me before and this is very special and I want to step up and do a better job. So in that case, staff morale goes up, you end up with better process outcomes, you end up with happier patients, uh, and it's a better environment using um, all elements of a little bit of technical and mostly people skills uh, to help people grow. Mm.
0: Uh, my experience is that the more I had the opportunity and with all humble work with these questions, uh, to really, really be sensitive about what, what does it mean to really, really meet someone where he or she is mm. or to, to support, and I know you have your regular talk with Edgar Schein, and he has written a really interesting book about helping. And can you mention something? What's your thoughts around this? Because coaching for me is really, really about understanding uh, how to to really listening and and, and be helpful.
1: Well, it, it's interesting because uh, Helping came out in 2009, and I was in the doctoral program at that point, and. Uh, When I read Shine's book, um, that we think helping is a very simple act. We help all day long. And the reality is uh, helping is very complex. And unless we're mindful about it and careful about those who come to us seeking help to take the time to ask good questions, to know what is it they're really looking for, um, to use humble inquiry and Ask a lot of questions um, um, to understand deeply what they're thinking about. Uh, and they may not know really what help they're asking for until you go through that process. Um, and then understanding am I the person to offer the help? I may not have the skills and needs once we really uncover what the person wants for help. Uh, and be honest about that and find someone to help if it's not you. Um, and then uh, lastly, you know is the person who's asking for help really gonna receive the help? I think of teenagers particularly, you know, you wanna help them and you get around to it and they don't want your help. Um, and, uh, you know, Edgar Schein has got wonderful career stories of, you know, where he was trying to force his help on corporate America, uh, well, corporations all over the world, one here in your tripping actually, Saab. Um, and um, he finally realized he needed to settle back, observe, take good notes, and ask good questions to meet people where they're at, not where he wanted them to go. Um, So that became um, the underpinning of the pre-phase of the team coaching model, is really understanding when you start to work with a team, uh, what have they done, what have they accomplished, if they've done improvement before, what worked, what didn't work, because you wouldn't want to repeat bad habits. Um, helping them find time and space in their daily schedule. And I recently, in 2018, moved the action of a coach of establishing a a relationship with the leader to the top of the list because you should always start with the leader uh, and get the invitation to go into the microsystem, but work with the leader to understand what the leader's interested in. And in that process, as you did, you can discover many times that leaders might talk about improvement but they don't understand a lot of uh, the instructions or the, the concepts of improvement, and they want to save face and not admit it publicly. So in this case, the coach can work with the leader to help raise them up and gain new knowledge. And what the leaders actually said is they learned new leadership behaviors from the coaches by using inquiry themselves. Know that leaders have to move into a, a new type of leadership where it's not command and control or telling people what to do but to actually ask more questions, be more humble. Um,
0: but that not that hard, Marjorie, when you think about all this quality improvement and, and it should go forward and we need to, to bring the results and how to handle this, to be curious, asking questions, be humble, but at the same time have little control on are we going in the right direction? What's your thought around that balance between control and, and be? hold your horses
1: <laughs> yeah so I, I i think on on that perspective one uh we work really hard to help leaders understand um how do we use data and information to inform what we actually work on to improve and many times when te- you know leaders will say i want you to fix flow in the organization um for an example and when the coach starts working with the team it's not something concrete how am i going to fix flow but then there might be 20 little things in the microsystem that we have to do before we can get to that big flow button. And the leader needs to understand that and give the team time to do that. For example, for flow, uh, it may be rounding is too late to write discharge orders. So how will we improve the rounding process and get discharge or orders early so that then maybe there's a bed available so someone could come into the bed? I mean, there's a there's a million little dots uh, that face uh, frontline teams every single solitary day that senior leaders in the organization who have big aspirations have to give them the time and space to, to do the little work. And in the little work, they're developing relationships. They're learning how to communicate. Um, they're showing respect for each other. And, you know, and many times people will say, I come to work and talk to these nurses every day. I don't know them. I don't really, I don't know their names. I don't know what their family's like. And so the bulk of my work is really uh, helping very busy professionals, patients and families, learn how to communicate differently, how to find that time and space to acknowledge each other, to use empathic communications where I acknowledge your emotion before I jump to action. And the, the reason why that happens is in healthcare, we're all trained to take action. We can't think about things when someone's health is at risk. And to be able to say, uh, if someone's having an emotion, you know, you look upset rather than just, you know, walk off and say Annette's having a bad day and move on to everything. I missed an opportunity to build a relationship with you, to be able to say you're looking sad today and for you to share a story that maybe a patient just passed away. Um, and how could we talk about that more and, and how could, um, with empathy, with humble inquiry, Um, Shine's hypothesis has been for a long time that we will finally get to levels of safety that every organization deserves, every patient deserves, because we have trust in each other to share secret stories about what's going on in the processes. And if leaders don't promote that behavior, uh, we'll never get to honest conversations.
0: It's really interesting. and. I find it uh, helpful wherever I work, if I work in the national level or in the region level, or if I work at the microsystem or the meso or macro level, to, to really have this uh, coaching, thinking and mindset. And uh, we have also been talking, more around what I think you also mentioned, Edgar Schein, when we talk about it. Uh, if we can't change behavior, change the situation.
1: Yeah. Edgar Schein is a, I mean, he's such a student of culture. I mean, Edgar Schein was the first one that said, it's not organizational culture. It's organizational cultures, plural, which connected with me because he's talking about microsystem. Every microsystem has its own culture. And we all know we can't change people. We can only change ourselves. And in that process, what Schein says that if you want to change behavior, change the situation. All behavior is situational. So some of the behaviors, uh, actions like coaches take that if you have teams that do not meet regularly to talk about how we do our work and how we can improve our work, and if they do meet, they're disruptive and, and chaotic and people are frustrated. Uh, as another great thinker says, Paul Bataldon says, every system's designed to get the results you'll get. You'll have a messy process. But if you change the situation, where the leader says you can meet an hour a week in the same place, you will use effective meeting skills, you'll have ground rules, Uh, you'll take turns leading the meeting, it changes the dynamics, it changes the situation, so behaviors start changing, that we actually are respectful of each other, we don't interrupt each other, we have a clear agenda, we know how to prepare for the meeting. So that's just one simple example, but if you want to change behavior, you've got to change the situation.
0: And I think... uh, when I work also with co-production, I'm really interested in this change, the situation. And when we bring people with patient experience in the room, exactly. something happened and we can see in this festival, we have, a, I think and they might be tw- 10, 20 people walking around here be participants in the conference and they have something talk with me and they said, I'm here uh, because I have the experience from being a patient. and. Um, it is really interesting because something happened when we really co-produce and co-design and co-produce. So what's your thoughts?
1: I have a great story for you. It just happened yesterday. So um, the workshop on uh, microsystem coaching um, that myself and Tina Foster and Julie Johnson did yesterday, uh, we had the, the, the patient there. Um, they're, you, they're saying they're the living library. To um, So we had uh, a patient in the room and she introduced herself. And uh, we were talking about um, when we are not communicating well, and um, that um, uh, poor communication doesn't build relationships. And um, the story came up that when people say things to you, you may not always know what you should say back. So we have these um, uh, two activities. Uh, One is uh, a mental model about using the ladder of inference. That we jump to conclusions all the time, uh, running up the ladder's uh, rungs by jumping to conclusions, making judgments, assuming things about you without having enough data. Uh, and each uh, step of the ladder uh, talks about what did I see, what data did I collect, what was my past experience, what conclusion did I draw, what did I, what do I believe? And and we are running up and down that ladder all day long, and what that we need to discipline ourselves to do is recognize where we are on that ladder and say, wait a minute, I don't have enough information, so I shouldn't be judging or I shouldn't be drawing this conclusion. The other uh, strategy we use uh, from the American, uh, from the Academy of Communication and Healthcare in the United States uh, is this mnemonic called PEARLS. And each one of the letters stands for an empathic response to somebody saying something to you. So the example was that um, um, one of the uh, providers in the room said, uh, I want to raise my hand um, and talk about when a, a patient tells me their stories and when I say, I know how you feel. And the patient in the room that was in our workshop said, I do not like it when I'm told you know how I feel. You have no idea how I feel. And it was an incredible moment in the workshop. And on the pearls, there's a, the L of pearls stands for legitimation or validation of someone's feeling. And instead of saying, I know how you feel, or I understand how you feel, the response would be anyone in your situation would feel that way. Totally different dynamic. And she was so happy to have contributed to that. And the room was so happy for that gift of her sharing, don't tell me you know how I feel. And now we gave them an immediate strategy to help them be empathetic to the patient and everybody win-wins. We co-produce now. And just saying anyone in your situation would feel that way, she said warmed her heart that she was acknowledged and then they can go on to co produce what they wanted to get done. Mm. So it sets the stage mm. for that and, and cuts down on these dynamics, these, mm. these stress mm. dynamics. Mm. Um, so it was a wonderful moment.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so much I would like to talk with you, Mario, about. But I think yeah, I will take and, and start to do the summarize or maybe more than end up. Uh, We talk a lot about the the development goes very fast and we have listened to the digital thing and it will change the world so total and we are just there on this journey. Uh, But when we talk about coaching and people, and I think Edward Deming has said it's all about people and understanding and so on. What about the future? Will this be the coaching and the human perspective and the respect and humility? Humility. And all this, what we're talking about, show people respect and listen and and be present and curious what matters to you and all this. Will that be there, you think, in the similar way? Or what's your thoughts for the future and coaching and with this perspective you now have been Mm -hmm. talking about?
1: Um, I can see huge benefit from technology. And I said last year, as a matter of fact, someone asked me, what do I see for the future? Um, for microsystems and improvement in healthcare. And I, I really believe technology is gonna move us. So the technology um, is going to um, help us uh, move faster, as you said, and achieve uh, more outcomes. It's a double-edged sword though, because even now in daily work and daily life, I'm sure everyone can talk about the distractions that we have with technology, where we don't engage in undivided attention you know, when we're having conversation or active listening and we're not present for one another. We'll be looking at our iPhone. Um, there'll be, uh, like I said, distractions that can happen uh, because of technology that uh, we've got to be very, very mindful of. And then if you look at some of the social issues and, and health, mental health issues with anxiety and feeling lonely, um, technology can contribute to that. Sure, we can say we can do Facebook and not feel lonely, but the actual flesh-to-flesh conversations, we've got to be very mindful of and continue to promote that uh, in constructive ways for people to uh, enhance their relationships, to get out of their cubicle in their office space and walk down the hall and talk to someone rather than just send a text message or use their computer. Um, we've got to be mindful, and that's what our work's going to continue to be, that coaching will be continuing to lift up people and remind them about communications and relationships, and it's not just technology.
0: Thank you, Marjorie. Mm -hmm. And you really make the world better every day. So thank you for taking your time, and uh, let's go back and let's uh, be at the festival and sharing and learning and have inspiration for others together with others. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. This podcast is made by Kulturum Design & Learning Center in Sweden.